So I want to welcome uh, everyone back. And if it works for you to have your video on, it's nice to be able to see people. And for anyone uh, who hasn't met me before, I wanted to do a very brief introduction to myself and then introduce uh, Stephen. Uh, my name is Donald Rothberg. I've uh, been teaching this Wednesday gathering since around 2001. Um, Sylvia Borstein started it, I believe, in 1991. And so it's, uh, we've gone through our 30-year anniversary. And I'm uh, one of the teachers uh, at Spirit Rock. Our theme today is the Dharma in times of crisis. And I'll be inviting Stephen in a moment to give an initial very short talk, maybe 10 minutes, and then we'll be in conversation on this theme of the Dharma in times of crisis. We will be referring significantly to Israel-Palestine, but we wanted to make the point that, of course, there are multiple crises, and it's a really crucial question as to how our spiritual practice is a resource and a guide and a support for being with one or more of multiple crises we could identify. You know, in probably everywhere where people are from. You know, there was uh, before October 7th, there was a kind of crisis in Israel we could call a crisis of democracy or a crisis in relationship to uh, taking over the judiciary. We have crises in the United States related to political polarization and the question of the fate of democratic governance. And of course, we have longstanding crises related to racial justice and to, uh, to climate. So I wanted to give that larger framing first. Um, and let me uh, then move to introducing Stephen. He'll speak for a while. We'll be in dialogue. As I mentioned earlier, we want to have a significant amount of time, 15 minutes or more, for discussion uh, among the whole group. And I wanted just to say in that uh, context that we want to continue really from the framework that I uh, developed in October and November in four uh, talks on how we practice with differences and conflicts. Understanding conflicts is not necessarily involving hostility or aggression. Could be an inner conflict. Do I stay in this job or relationship? Could be an interpersonal conflict and so forth. And there was a intent in, the, in those four talks to develop a framework which would work with inner conflicts, interpersonal conflicts, as well as larger conflicts. In the last of those talks, I applied the framework to Israel-Palestine. 
and all of those talks are on Dharma Seed. The, and one aspect I just wanted to mention before introducing Stephen is that we wanted to have our space of conversation together really be informed by one aspect of that framework, which is to as much as possible speak together, including sometimes around difficult, very difficult material from the framework of our practice, creating as much as possible a relatively uh, safe space in which there can be disagreements, in which there can be sometimes strong emotions, but to have our practice be there in terms of being mindful of what's occurring, in terms of as much as possible using skillful speech, practicing uh, empathy. Empathy can totally coexist with disagreement, using uh, language uh, carefully and so forth. And we'll, we ourselves will attempt this and likely will be imperfect. So that being said, let me um, say that I think I first met Stephen in 2010 when he was visiting at Spirit Rock. And we connected some there. We connected further uh, when I made two longer trips to teach in Israel in 2017 and 19. I, I was able to stay some, I think both trips, at his uh, home in an ecological village in northern Israel, not so far from the uh, Lebanon border, where recently there has been shelling, I think quite, quite a bit. And we, we connected in, in different ways, and uh, we've, stayed in, we've stayed in touch. And we, we actually did some teaching on Stephen's visit in 2019 to Spirit Rock. We did teaching together on practicing with conflict. Stephen's background um, <clears throat> um, studied at um, Oxford University, is originally from England, and has a PhD in the sciences, and founded uh, in the 1990s uh, Tovana, which is the uh, largest insight meditation organization in Israel offering retreats and teachings really to thousands of people uh, with uh, retreat centers, uh, centers in different cities. And Stephen's been teaching for uh, 25 years. And he also founded the Middle Way organization, which brought together Israelis and Palestinians over a long period of time to meet together, to be in programs together, to engage in, uh, in walks and different ways of collaborating and sharing experience. Did that for quite a long, quite a long time. And has uh, written a number of books, some of them in the sciences and a number of Dharma books, including What's Beyond Mindfulness, Waking Up to This Precious Life, and the five powers. And <clears throat> it's a delight to uh, welcome Stephen again to Spirit Rock and to invite him just to take the lead in our conversation on the Dharma in times of crisis.
Great. Thank you so much, Donald. And I, I have a really warm memory of us sitting under the carob trees in the Galilee, uh, chatting about Omer and life together in my house. And, uh, um, and I'm really, really happy to join you here. Um, where I am, yes, I'm close to the Lebanon. And I feel a, a lot of pain. And it's the pain that when I hear the artillery, and I hear it day and night here where, where, where I am, firing from the Israel side to the Lebanon, and an occasional rocket coming over from the Lebanon, um, I don't feel personal danger, but I feel so much pain of the suffering that all of this is created. And I think one of the kind of qualities or emotional tone, my, I have to say, to be honest, my life is happy. I'm a happy person and I'm in the Dharma and there's so much joy in that. But there is, it, it goes together with a quality of mourning. I mourn for the suffering of the Israelis in October the 7th. I mourn for the suffering of the people in Gaza, which is unimaginable, which we just cannot imagine. I mourn for the consensus that allows that to happen. And in a way, I mourn for the kind of quality of sleepwalking, that we're sleepwalking into more violence and more wars um, and the ignorance that can keep this, this going. So, but on the other hand, it's really important that we're not just talking about Israel-Palestine, because maybe that's a hot spot on the planet. But it's not so different from what's happening in, in, in Washington, D.C. and in, in London and, and, and then Ukraine and then Burma and then, you know, Sudan and then wars all over. And I really do feel that we, that means you and I and all of us, really need to take seriously that we're entering um, a world of crisis. And it's going to be crisis in a way in our Yeah, I think we, we were we were warned that this might happen. So, Donald, what would you like to do? Yeah, uh, Stephen will uh, has a plan to come back to it. There's a, probably a short internet uh, gap. He'll probably be back within a minute or so. So, yeah, I'll just say a little bit about my own experience and framework uh, and way of understanding. Uh, Stephen was really saying that what's crucial is that we don't want to focus only on Israel-Palestine, although that's very intense right now, but that also looking there and asking how do we practice is really helping us towards what might be, although we don't want it this way, a very common experience in the next years. You know, I think of uh, some of the Tibetan sayings, uh, turn all obstacles into the path of practice. Another saying from the Tibetan tradition is, when the sun shines and my belly is full, 
I look like a Dharma practitioner, but it is when difficulties arise that I see what is really there. <laughs> so welcome back, Stephen. I was just kind of going, going off from where you were about saying That's that great. conflicts or uh, difficulties, crises are, you know, maybe more the norm, unfortunately. And so there's a question that we have to ask ourselves, um, is our Dharma practice and our spiritual life, which may be beyond the, just the Dharma, maybe all different ways we develop uh, our heart and our soul, um, is it developing the resources that we need? Um, and how does it challenge, our, does crisis challenge our Dharma practice and our spiritual life? I'll give you a small example. One of my groups, uh, a girl, said, I really feel the beauty of life. I really feel the beauty of the olive trees around, and I feel the big soul. And then I feel what's going on around in this war, and I feel so much fear and contraction, and I don't know how to put the two together. And I was answering by saying, we are Buddhas. We have Buddha nature, and we have human nature. And how is the Buddha nature and the human nature to dialogue together? And here is a challenge, I think, that we really need to explore in the Dharma. Remembering that the Dharma, when it's arrived in Spirit Rock or in Israel, or in the Western world, has adapted to Western culture, and it has certain forms. And maybe there's things that we are leaving, we left behind in the history of the, the Dharma, and tools and possibilities that we left behind, and that we really need to remember. In other words, um, and, shall we say, mindful attention. I'll give you an example, compassion. Compassion in Israel has been an extraordinary response of the Dharma teaching world. From the beginning, that means more than two months, we have had two or three times every single day, 24-7, a safe space opening on Zoom where Dharma teachers in Israel offer guidance, a safe space, dialogue, and guided meditations two or three times every single day for more than two months. And this is kindness and compassion as action. And it's worth remembering that compassion is not just a state of the heart that is kind of that we sit quietly. It is partly that. We sit quietly with the caring heart for the world. But compassion is active, like in the, in the Tree of Life, in the Kabbalah. You know, compassion is on the male side because it's chita means mind, heart, in action, in the world, going out into the world. So there's a place where we, we can explore compassion as engagement, as a source of engagement. Another place where I think it's worth exploring uh, what our dharma, uh, actually a personal story here. I said that I wasn't really afraid. And two months, I haven't been afraid, even though the bombs or the artilleries and the bangs, uh, except twice. And uh, twice I woke up in the morning, I get up at four o'clock, something like that, and there was a lot of fear in the body. 
and I didn't know why. And I just woke up with fear as a vibration in the body. And I worked with it just as in the meditation that Donald was guiding, seeing it as a sensation that's arriving and doing its thing rather than being drowned by it. But at a certain point, after 10 or 15 minutes, I said to myself, thank you very much, fear. Enough is enough. I'm not interested anymore in fear. I've heard you. I don't need you now. And I went off and made a cup of tea, lit all the lights in the house, and and and, uh, and the fear totally vanished. So why I'm saying that, because we usually have a kind of, in the Vipassana world, a sense of working with things. But when you say to something, enough is enough, you are active in renunciation. Renunciation is, if you like, a strong voice that says enough. And sometimes we need that voice in our life as a resource. Enough is enough. And um, I'm just giving it as an example, in a way, beyond just mindful awareness. A very important um, quality that I want to talk about, and maybe uh, Donald will pick up on this uh, later, that we all need, and we're going to need more and more, and if we have this quality, we will be able to make a difference in our life and in other people's life. And that's the quality of refuge, or steadiness, or, as the Buddha said, be an island to yourself. Be an island, that means come back home to ourselves in a place that we can rely on. Refuge is, I think, a missing part of the practice of many people. It's settling into a place that we can rely on, that is trust and a sense of belonging and a sense of coming home. And if we have that, that resource in us uh, again and again, and it builds, we will... Yeah, looks like I'll I'll jump in again and say yeah. When I when I think of refuge, I also think of the uh, power of community, of the crucial dimension of community in times of difficulty or even crisis, and staying connected in some ways. And even our our Zoom technology can be really really powerful. You know, I, I have uh, two groups I work with, you know, with people all over North America, and they're through Zoom, and it's deeply, deeply um, intimate and supportive and powerful. And so when we think of refuge and the kind of supports uh, community, you know, which, which is really, I think, what we, we find in the traditional teachings, we, we take refuge in the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And so community really, really uh, crucial. Um, I think we'll get Stephen back uh, very soon. He has a mechanism to get back. Here we are. Stephen, I was just uh, adding to your comments uh, about refuge yeah. and talking about community 
and also that traditional refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, but going at some detail about uh, community as refuge. And I also remembered we didn't we didn't play our short video yet, so I don't know if we when we want to do that. I, I, we could uh, uh, straight, maybe straight after um, my talk as a kind of ball. Yeah, that sounds as you, good. As um, so, yeah, the, basically when Trump came in, Obama said, I seem to remember, never forget that the sun still rises in the morning. And it's that sort of memory of truth that gives us still a place to rely on a place that we can say, yes, the truth of things is deeper than the uh, crisis that I feel. There is a deeper truth, which is the life itself in me. In my experience, I meet life as it is. That is my ref, that's my home. And if we can keep going there, it's a really powerful resource. And the final word, um, from my side, there are many, many questions and dilemmas. We've experienced many of them out here in Israel, of course, in the time, in this period when there's been a lot, a lot of anger and fear and um, and doubt where, of where is my spiritual life now when I'm being attacked. I think we can allow di the dilemmas including ethical dilemmas. They aren't easy. We can't expect to solve them. But if we are there with not knowing as well, with the sense that the big life is a mystery and we can be with that, we don't necessarily have to have answers, but we, we can be okay with the not knowing. And I have a feeling that that's something that all of us can uh, perhaps connect with and allow and um, it's one of the resources yes I don't know but my heart and my mind open present I'll do what I can I'll make a difference where I can so that's a few comments I'm sorry I get cut off I have to say it's also not only my fault I understand that the army is using the same frequency as the radio that brings the internet to me so it, 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 I can blame blame them for that as well <laughs> yeah thanks Stephen so yeah let's uh, have a dialogue uh, Donald okay do you want to uh, come back to the video later or what's your sense of timing for that um, we could Well, um, maybe as we're talking, we'll keep talking. Okay. And at the end, we'll show the video before we open it up to discussion. Great. As That's we're how... already in the wave. That sounds okay. good. Yeah. Maybe I should just say some things by way of background in terms of the, what we can call the crisis related to Israel-Palestine. A uh, little bit of background in, in the... Uh, two longer trips I had in Israel, I also made uh, three trips to the West Bank. And in a way, uh, they changed my life, I would say. You know, seeing up close the realities, I felt, you know, I had known a fair amount of the history and the realities, but seeing things up close, meeting with 
uh, Palestinians, it changed things. And I've wanted to, in whatever mostly small ways, I can be helpful to, to do so. Uh, and I, I've been involved with you know, relatively small ways to, to help. And my own experiences have also involved in the last months, uh, you know, deeply uh, painful, uh, even to the point sometimes where I think I have felt numb, you know, and just hard to connect. The level of pain is almost unimaginable, you know, with, you know, really uh, with both uh, Israelis and Palestinians. And I've also felt um, another strong emotion has been um, sadness in part to the way that, you know, that there has not been possible for so many people, particularly people, I would say, on the progressive left, very difficult to hold empathy and compassion for all and the kind of taking sides Personally, I have felt that as painful and uh, kind of a deep sadness about not being able to hold all pain in the picture, but needing to take sides. You know, maybe we can come back to that. And so, yeah, um, what a few things that help, sort of following up from what you were saying, Stephen. Um, I think really looking for where there is reactivity in one's mind including, you know, one, one area is partic that particularly to look for is the repetition of negative narratives, you know, which can really, you know, things are hopeless or, uh, you know, this will always continue or, you know, ways that we have narratives which tend, I think, to come out of unprocessed pain, which can lead one to be, become sometimes more numb and distanced. And so watching out for negative narratives is so crucial and such a fundamental element of our practice. Uh, you know, it's, it's right at the heart of the work that I do with transforming the judgmental mind. So working with those, seeing if we can actually go into the body to feel the pain related to negative narratives about, about what it, whatever it is. And then the, uh, you know, I like very much that sense of uh, in a crisis, sometimes not knowing, you know, uh, the not knowing quality. Uh, you know, I, I remember uh, when I was teaching with my uh, friend and colleague, Diana Winston, we developed a list of 10 guidelines for socially engaged Buddhism. And one of them was not knowing, not always knowing what's happening. And Diane at the time was working also with teenagers. And one of them says, you know, well, not knowing, that's not quite good enough. You have to add to it, not knowing, but keeping going. <laughs> right, so I, I really like that, that addition. Uh, Stephen, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, d I just want to relate to the um, issue of narrative. Uh, it's extremely, extremely powerful. You could say that the 70 years of conflict uh, in this part of the world is fueled by narratives uh, on both sides. And it's not really fueled by uh, 
lifestyle or by religion actually it's fueled by narratives that are held that, 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 that the children grow up with and one of the tragedies is at this time now the in, incredible suffering of the people in Gaza Yeah, maybe we can jump in again, and uh, I don't know if I can finish Stephen's uh, sentence. Stephen, are you still there? Are you? Okay, probably doing some internet recovery work right now. But just that, you know, that looking at the narratives, uh, often the narratives are framed in terms of we are good, they're bad. It's going to, so we really want to watch out for those kind of narratives. We're good, they're bad. Whatever, you know, whatever language that takes, you know, we can see that again on both sides. You know, they're all terrorists, very, very common narrative. Or, you know, uh, negative narratives coming the other way, um, really driven by, uh, you know, by so much pain and, you know, one word, uh, well, yeah, are you back, Stephen? I was talking about just some of the different narratives, trying to follow up on what you were saying, the different narratives, yeah. they're all terrorists, or the narratives exactly. on either side saying, you know, basically saying, we're good, they're bad. One of the um, narratives that's really difficult right now is only force works. And uh, that's a narrative that's really restricting the potential to bring peace to the, to the region. Only force works. I would say the opposite. There's, there's an opposite narrative, which is exactly the opposite, and that's one which is only kindness works. Only kindness makes sense. We need an opposite narrative. But the truth is we don't need any narratives. We, we, can, have, we can see narratives as primal. Their power become because we need a story to live by and the story to live by is usually based on the primary emotion of survival and fear and so we build a story that's my story which it can be the victim it can be the trauma it can be um what's what's the dominant story and i think uh, all of us really needs to kind of do weeding weed the garden <laughs> And weed out narratives, look, check them out and weed them and give space to, fr to fruitful vegetables in the, in the ecology. Yeah, so such a, such a fundamental area. And again, we can, can see that in, in the news and really watch that and be, you know, particularly where there's, uh, where there are narratives driven by by reactivity, you know, by, by unprocessed pain. And again, this is something that, you know, more generally, one of my very strong senses of being in Israel was how much there's a background of, uh, of trauma on both sides. And when there's trauma, it's very, very hard to be in the present moment and actually be constructive. And, you know, it's almost as if, if uh, it almost would be beneficial just to say, let us uh, stop all 
violence for one year and do trauma work and then come back and look for peace, you know, but that there's so much while recognizing, you know, there's trauma on both sides, but there's also severe asymmetry of, of power. So complex yeah. in that way. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the places that needs, um, attention and I think again it's not just Israel Palestine it is really in um, our reaction to crisis is that very often um, we build narratives around fear and the fear create violence and then we say but I need the fear because if I'm not a if I don't have fear then they'll attack me or this will happen, or that will, uh, or the immigrants will come in, or the, the, there's all the time stories around fear, and we forget to, to notice how much we are uh, driven to act by fear. You could say the violence now in Gaza is based on fear. We, because of what happened on October the 7th, we have to do this in order to stop it happening and again in the future. That's based on fear, but it doesn't address the it doesn't address the issue. Well, maybe there are other ways of stopping it happening in the future. And maybe this isn't the best way, which is kind of um in creating incredible suffering on the whole people in Gaza. Maybe that isn't the best way. But the fear takes over, and then the narratives come from there. So I think it really needs, we need to look, give a lot of respect to that fear, but at the same time challenge it. Am I acting from fear, or am I really acting from protection, helpfulness, building something more beneficial? And it kind of be clear about that. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. And um, you know, again, the, you know, the, the resources of the practice to work with challenging states, whether fear or anger or sadness or grief. And I think, the, again, the importance of shared spaces to really go into places of grief, having, you know, having done a lot of work with Joanna Macy, who helped set up you know, ways that uh, people in community can come together. And sometimes we need that coming together even to know what's there for us. I've experienced that so many times, you know, with, uh, with challenging situations or, or crises. Um, and I, I had one question, Stephen. Um, what's the place of an insight meditation organization during a crisis, what's the role? You know, are there? Is it a a place to make uh, statements to provide refuge? What What's the place uh, to have ways of bringing in empathy for whatever people are experiencing? Probably that's you know that's question's been there a lot for you. Yeah, some some of those things you mentioned, but one place I think that is really important. It's a place to give permission and tools 
and a community of like-minded people for people to remember themselves. Because one of the issues of narratives of fear, of insecurity, and of the consensus, and if you can imagine uh, here in, uh, in Israel, the consensus is so strong and so you know, dominant in the society. People lose themselves. And there's, I think, an insight meditation or an insight community, not just meditation, will help people to come back to recognize who they really are, that I'm made of bigger stuff. I can meditate. I can be quiet. I can have my loving heart. I can remember my loving heart. I can connect with other people around me that are like-minded people, that don't criticize me, and that don't force me what to think, and don't try and control me and do brainwash on me. But it's kind of a real... That's part of the refuge, I think, is to have a space where people can kind of remember who they are. And I think another place is just what I said before, to remind us of our resources that we might forget when we're right in the middle of the heat. The heat can be arguments in your school or in your workplace or in, in Democrats and Republicans uh, down on the city streets. It, it can be anywhere. But um, to 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 remember you're made of bigger stuff and that you can go out there and make a difference and you have to have something at your back for that you have to have something you know in, in a spine like the buddha said be an island to yourself so i think that this sense of a community of insight practice of awareness of reminders help us then to go out in the street and feel, yes, I can go out and make a difference. I can say something different. I can make a change. I'm not going to be swept out, swept away totally. And it's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen, that really echoes a lot of what's been coming to me uh, really in the last few years, especially about how our times uh, not only call for skillful engagement and meeting the challenges of the world, but call for a radical deepening of our practice, right? What would it be like in, uh, if we suddenly had millions of people who, whose practice is deep enough so, so we can resonate, like with the Metta Sutta, radiating kindness over the entire world, upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, right? And, and at the same time, access that regularly and also be able to act. You know, so I, I've thought sometimes of a specific uh, program that would both give a kind of deep dharma and also point to skillful ways of engagement. How do you bring those both together? How do you bring those together so that we increasingly stay in touch with that radiant heart and that sense of, uh, you know, ultimately not being separate from anything? You know, which, and, and when we have that, 
you know, action looks very different. Yeah. Yes. Firstly, I think we need to kind of, uh, a couple of points. One is we, in our practice, we need perhaps to come down from the sense that compassion and metta is something very special that needs very special practice that we have to go, I mean, you're doing a metta retreat, which is beautiful, and it increases the power of metta, but there's something very basic in compassion, which is our sense of paying attention, of taking care of ourselves and the world is fundamental and, and primary, and it's the opposite of fear and, and the opposite of anxiety. And we do feel it when we just, you know, when we breathe, when we feel the body, when we listen to the sounds, when we listen to the dog barking outside, as we just did, I just did. Um, we, our, our compassion happens by itself. It happens through care. We are caring human beings. So I think one place is to recognize Let's see, uh, I'll try to give evidence of non-separation by channeling Stephen further. Uh, yeah. Um, so one way to manifest that um, compassion is just really to, to, in our practice, to keep remembering that intention. You know, the, the heart practices work so much with intention, with continual intention to move as best we can in whatever we do with kindness, with compassion. You know, I have a, you know, a self-guidance which I use a number of times each day, which, uh, you know, in small interactions, in groups, in difficult situations, may I May I be guided by kindness, empathy, and presence. May those be there. Yeah, Stephen, I was trying to channel you some. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I, I, I want to say I'm sorry, but it's not me. <laughs> it just happens by itself. I just have to kind of uh, allow things to happen by themselves, what to do. But equanimity maybe is a, is a good example of what's needed right now when the internet collapses, crashes every few minutes. Um, equanimity, again, it's not something, although it's a very, very developed quality, it's a very refined quality, but it's also quite a simple quality of being steady and present and quiet with the changing, uncontrollable life. We are not in charge. We cannot control life. And equanimity is that place where we can stay with the uncontrollable, with the unexpected, with the difficulty, and stay with it. It doesn't knock us down. It doesn't work inside us, undoing us. I think many of you have had uh, verbal discussions with someone that, that thinks totally opposite, has opposite views, and very emotional, all of us. But there's a text, a Buddhist sutta, that, where the Buddha said, if you meet somebody, then they don't have strong emotions, 
or they, their views are not radically different, you can talk to them and it's easy. But if their views are radically different and they're very strongly emotional, you can't talk to them. Don't bother, but don't forget the power of equanimity. And equanimity is a hidden power that actually allows us to stand in the middle of difficulty and stand our ground and not be knocked down. Being aware of pain, being aware of challenge, being not shutting the door, it's not disconnecting, but it's saying, I can meet this, I can meet these challenges, and I'm standing on my ground. That's a place that I think we can really learn and practice in, in uh, inside practice. It can really give us that, that power. I will share a small story about that just for one second. Um, I've done a lot of work with Palestinians and Israelis over the years, many, many, many workshops in the middle way that uh, Donald mentioned, uh, in Nablus, in the West Bank, with Palestinians and Israelis. And um, one time, the whole thing blew up. That didn't happen so often. And the Palestinians and the Israelis screaming at each other, you're killers, you're soldiers, you're this, you're terrorists. And I felt, it's beyond me, I can't deal with this. <laughs> so I just took a chair and sat in the middle. After five minutes, the whole thing kind of cooled down. And the Palestinian facilitator, I turned to her and I said, Rauda, I'm sorry, I blew it. I, I, didn't hold, I couldn't hold it. It was too strong. And she said, no, no, you don't realize. Your equanimity made the whole thing settle down in five minutes. And you didn't say anything. You just sat quietly in the chair in the middle of it all. And I didn't notice, but it was true. Sometimes we can be steady in the middle of difficulty, conflict, even violence, and something else happens. It's like Aikido the Japanese martial arts, just to kind of be there in the middle of things and not create the friction that creates violence. Yeah, beautiful, Stephen. Let me add to that uh, briefly, and then I think we could uh, go to the video and then open things up. Um, yeah, I'm remember equanimity is so crucial, and I'm remembering that one of the beautiful aspects of the teachings of these four heart qualities of loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity is that in their maturity, they're all integrated together. So equanimity is not distant. Equanimity has that warm heart. We sometimes liken it to the grandmother who has seen everything, but still has a deep caring. That That is a, is a beautiful metaphor. And I think it's... Um, crucial practice for us to develop and one of these beautiful ways to and challenging ways to develop it is when we maybe have differences with people when there are you know differences of views or difference of approach or you know situations like you were describing can be really really crucial uh, and I'll, I'll also tell a brief story that uh, in my trip to Israel in 2019 uh, I was asked to give a talk in Jerusalem and I gave them a bunch of topics and the people organizing it chose the topic of uh, something like spiritual practice and being skillful with conflict. 
there we go. Okay, there am I, Donald from the U.S. talking about how to be skillful with conflict in Jerusalem. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, so you know, I taught on that area. Have taught probably for 15 years. So familiar. But in the actual talk, I had someone who was continually interrupting me and was antagonistic. And I wasn't sure what was happening. And people were looking around in the group. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't quite know what to do. Should I just, you know, tell the person to be quiet so I can go on with my talk? And I remembered an option, which was actually to meet the person with empathy and in a way, without saying so, say, okay, here we have a conflict. I think I'm not going to teach through my words, but through my actions, right? And so I actually was able to engage probably five or ten minutes empathically and in a connected way with this person, and something settled down with this person, and I was able to go on. It was a inter very interesting experience, but just pointing to that as something that maybe all of us here can take as an area of practice. How do we work with differences or when they're even as antagonism or, you know, even difficult feelings when it's in the workable range? You know, how can we, how can we do that? How can we follow that Tibetan uh, saying that I quoted earlier? I don't know if you heard it, Stephen. Turn all obstacles into the path of practice. Right. Right. And so maybe this, that's a good segue to the video. Would you like to introduce it? Yeah. So, um, as I said, the Dhamma teachers in Israel have been very engaged. It, it, we, we've been very activated and, and not disconnected and not sort of uh, um, uh, stepping back and feeling despaired and, and, and it's too... You know, we've been really at the front and, and very much um, helping people who are, for example, uh, personally infected by um, by death and uh, by kidnapping and so on. So, that, um, and where possible, you know, it's not possible to go to Gaza, but also in the Palestinian community to, to, to be helping. And one of the things we decided to do is make some kind of a statement, uh, all the Dharma teachers, and we did it in the form of video. This, it wasn't easy. <laughs> if you can imagine, there's like 20 of us and we're all trying to agree on something. But I think we managed it. The language is, the approach is the main thing. The language is rather constructed as a statement, but the approach, and listen to each of us, we all say a little piece of this statement. And I think it just, you can feel, uh, we'll feel what you feel, but um, we're talking to you, to everybody, uh, through through this video, all, all the teachers. Yeah, and it's about three and a half minutes long. Pretty brief. Yeah. yeah. Um, please, Christina. Morot, Mori, Mikila Adam, be Israel. Hauchim, Derech Adam. Derech Shulreya, be Rauchava, 
דרך של חמלה וחיים מוסריים המכבדים חיי אדם באשר הם וחותרים לאי אלימות. לאורך שנים אנחנו כואבים כאב גדול את הסכסוך המתרחש בין ישראלים ופלסטינים, סכסוך עקוב הדם שרק הולך ומסלים. אנחנו מודאגות, מתפללות לעתיד משותף של כל יושבי האזור. אנו מבקשות לשים סוף למעגל הדמים ולחתור לפתרון המביט אל העתיד ומחפש דרך לחיות כאן יחד בכבוד הדדי, בשלום ובשותפות. אנחנו כואבים מאוד את אירועי השבעה באוקטובר שבהם נעשו מעשי שנאה ואכזריות שלא פגשנו בעבר בחיינו כאן. אנחנו דואגים לעתיד החטופים והחטופות. אנחנו כואבות את ההרג וההרס של רבים ורבות כל כך מתושבי ותושבות עזה. אנחנו כואבים מאוד את חיי האזרחים. It's a good lesson there that I, any moment I might disappear because of the internet. <laughs> It's a lesson in our nature. דרך של חמלה וחיים מוסריים המכבדים חיי אדם באשר הם וחותרים לאי אלימות. לאורך שנים אנחנו כואבים כאב גדול את הסכסוך המתרחש בין ישראלים ופלסטינים, סכסוך עקוב הדם שרק הולך ומסלים. אנחנו מודאגות, מתפללות לעתיד משותף של כל יושבי האזור. אנו מבקשות לשים סוף למעגל הדמים ולחתור לפתרון המביט אל העתיד. ומחפש דרך לחיות כאן יחד, בכבוד הדדי, בשלום ובשותפות. אנחנו כואבים מאוד את אירועי השבעה באוקטובר, שבהם נעשו מעשי שנאה ואכזריות שלא פגשנו בעבר בחיינו כאן. אנחנו דואגים לעתיד החטופים והחטופות. אנחנו כואבות את ההרג וההרס של רבים ורבות כל כך מתושבי ותושבות עזה. אנחנו כואבים מאוד. את חיי האזרחים משני הצדדים, ילדים ותינוקות, נשים, גברים וקשישים. אלפים רבים שנהרגו, שאיבדו את היקרים והיקרות להם, שנפצעו בגוף ובנפש. אנחנו קוראים לעצמנו, לכל יושבי האזור ולכל חברינו בעולם, 
להחזיק את הלב רחב דיו, להכיל את המורכבות. להרגיש את הכאב של נפגעות ונפגעי הסכסוך עקוב הדמים הזה, באשר הם והן, מתוך הבנה והכרה באחריות ההדדית של כולנו, ישראליות ופלסטיניות. אנחנו מתחייבות לתרגול של נאמנות לכוונה, לדיבור ולפעולה בצורה שתהיה מחויבת לחיים של ביטחון ושלום. אנחנו מתחייבות ומתחייבים לפעול בכל דרך אפשרית להביא סוף למעגל האלימות, השנאה והגזענות. ואנחנו מבקשות ממכם ומכן להצטרף אלינו. אנחנו מבקשות מכל מי ששומעת אותנו, אנא הצטרפו אלינו לפעולה, לתפילה ולכוונה למען שלום בין כולנו. להחזקה עדינה של הכאב של כולנו. לשאיפה עמוקה לתקווה לעתיד בטוח, שקט ומשותף על האדמה הזאת. הלוואי וכל היצורים החיים יהיו מאושרים. הלוואי וכל היצורים החיים יהיו בטוחים. הלוואי שכל היצורים החיים יהיו חופשיים. May all beings be happy, may all beings be safe, may all beings be free of suffering. Thanks, Christina, so much for working that out. And let's just take a minute or two to sit silently, sit quietly, let the effects of the voices and words be there, and also see whether a sharing or a question uh, surfaces for you. Take about a minute or two now in silence. So let's open things up now. If you want to share, you can use the raised hand function, or uh, I also can see people if you have your video on and you raise your hand like that. But raised hand function is a little better if you can do that. Uh, Anita, please. Assalamu alaikum. Christina for bringing uh, you to us today I, I, I'll try to yaw into a question as best I can as I feel my way through 
Um, we've talked some today and thought a lot about uh, rage, about wounded men and women. All these generations of suffering so long. I'm concerned about another kind of thing, and that is the numbness, the numbness of those people who are not outraged in sadness or in terror. I wonder where do we go with that? The numbness of our elders, of our parents, of our children, the numbness of our political leaders, our spiritual leaders, all those people we entrust with giving voice to suffering in our holy land or in all those many places, each of you teachers have brought up. And Ramatullah Ustad Stephen for living and loving our as much as you Yeah. Um, primary attention is to work with the qualities that we meet in the world, in ourselves. Um, because we're not going to be able to undo the numbness of a prime minister. Um, but we can start ourselves. So the first thing is to, to know that this numbness, which is basically fear, it's basically um, built on negative emotions that cannot be seen and will not be faced. It's built on uh, uh, shutting down and suffering. Um, first to understand it fully in ourselves and Clearly, we're not going to be in the same boat completely, but we all have, you know, we are all of these people. We're not so different from, we're angels and demons ourselves. So I think first is to recognize these forces in us. And then when we meet it in others, numbness, see numbness as a form of pain and suffering. So where you meet numbness in the world, when you go out in the street and you meet it, it, it can ask you to hug this person. It can ask you to, to, to relate to this person and their suffering. It can generate compassion in, in us because the numbness is a, a cry. Actually, the numbness is a cry for help. And, and we can respond in any way that feels wise and compassionate at the time. I wish... I could go to the Knesset or to Washington or and, and, and kind of, um, you know, uh, hug everybody and say, you don't need to be in that place. And, um, but it's a sad place to be and our compassion can hold that for, in others as much as we can meet it. And it's a cry. It's a call for help. It's a shutdown, which is saying, I can't cope with this life. The Buddha said, actually, that we are drawn by either existence or non-existence. And shutdown, numbness, is the non-existence, the call of non-existence as a way of 
kind of coping not very well, inadequate coping. Yeah. Maybe I'll just add one or two points. I think it's a really uh, crucial question. Thank you. And, um, you know, knowing it in ourselves, I mentioned that I've experienced numbness at times and how to, you know, how to work with that. Uh, a few things occur to me, recognizing that numbness can often be a sign of trauma. You know, it's, you know, the trauma response includes freezing, which is very much associated with numbness. So we can have some compassion for why there might be numbness in some. Some of it's related just to conditioning, you know. Uh, maybe if so many leaders, particularly, I'll generalize here, I hope this is not triggering, but many male leaders are not in touch with their emotions generally, right? So that, that's, that can be part of it. Uh, and the other point which occurred to me is the power to cut through numbness of creativity. I think of music, maybe art, and there are ways that can touch people that simple words will not necessarily touch people. Thank you. Thank you. You have other sharing or or a question? Teachers, there's an anonymous comment in the chat. Okay. I suffer from this numbness as well after so many losses in my own life. I'm so tired and can't even take care of myself anymore. Mm. I'm so scared of this numbness. I want it to go away and don't know how to make it go away. There's so much that needs to be done in, in the world and I want to help but feel paralyzed. I think that one of the, the numbness, uh, because it feels in the case of the person asking, um, because it feels so overwhelming, one place that it invites immediately is compassion. And which is, I can't deal with this. The only thing in a way I have left is I hug myself anyway. I hug myself with the numbness. I, I give myself, I'm, I, I, this is too much for me, but the only thing that I can, I have left is the sense of, uh, compassion to the to the numb heart, and it, it's a kind of default place, which is it's all beyond me. But I give myself a hug anyway. To be our own mother of a crying child inside, As, and then from there, and then a lot, a lot of help from other people is needed in a situation like that. A lot of community, a lot of good energy, if you like, from the world, a restoring a bit of fundamental positivity of, of hope, of going out and being helped and helping others, of being in a place of where help is given and help is received. So there's a lot, there a lot can be done externally as well. I think that the, that the two together, the internal work, and compassion and the external work of being helping and being helped 
um, may, 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 may make a, a difference there. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, uh, Chess, please. Thank you. I was thinking about the powerlessness. Hopefully some of these people who are feeling numb, it's just the realization of their powerlessness. And Jack Cornfield said, address that by saying that there is something that we can all do. And it's just that we all do what we can do individually. Uh, let's say I'm adding to this, but um, if I can get up in the morning and make my bed and, and do the right thing, breathing in the life that is given to me and breathing out my commitment or my part of the deal, which is to spread love. That, that's a Jack Cornfield. So we breathe in life and our part of, you know, what our, what, how we pay back is by expressing love. So we're all, we can only do what we can do as individuals because I'm, I feel powerless myself to stopping this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, e e even, even if I have an idea about how to stop this, it's still not even up to me. I mean, I, yeah, okay. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Chess. Um, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, you know, I, as you were speaking, I remembered uh, the very beautiful guidance from the African-American... Uh, activist and mystic Howard Thurman, talking near the end of his life to a young man who asked, what should I do? And this is from an activist who had set up one of the first interracial uh, uh, churches in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, longtime activist, theologian. And he answered this young man and he said, don't ask, an interesting uh, comment we could think for a world in crisis don't ask what the world needs rather ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is people who have come alive so that is that has stayed with me since i first heard that maybe 20 years ago that's very beautiful i, I want to share a story that's similar from um uh, A.K. Must, who was a, um, a priest, uh, and it, this was at the time of the Vietnam War, and he was sitting outside the Pentagon with a, um, in vigil with a candle uh, all night. And um, people come to him and said, well, you know, you think you can change, you can stop the Vietnam War by sitting there with a candle? You think you can change anything? You, one person sitting all night with a candle? He said, no, no, you don't understand. What I, I know I can't change them, but what I can do is make sure that they don't change me. Mm. And I think that we, we, can we can shift the view of what is power. And for example, our, what I was talking about at the beginning, which is steadiness and refuge and being in life is a little bit what Donald was saying now. 
developing our inner qualities, there, that is a political action. Because we go out in the world anyway. All day we are talking, thinking, acting spontaneously. So what we can do is develop the best qualities that we can, the wisest, clearest, steadiest, and most heartful qualities that we can, and then go out in the world knowing that we're not in control, that karma is bigger than us, we are not in control. But that's what we can do, is develop the qualities, and then they'll happen spontaneously as much as karma allows us. We, don't, we can't do more than that. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. I think we're ready to go. You wanted to do uh, a, a short guided meditation to, to end. Sure. Okay. So let me just say uh, my heart is with everybody here. And, um, and uh, it, it was just a delight to be with you all and to feel you all he here. All of us human beings in samsara, under the difficult world of survival. So let's just come back to ourselves now. A feeling of gathering ourselves. of landing, of joining where we are. We are sitting here. We are present. The world is with us. The sounds outside. The earth under our feet. The sky above. And we are taking our place in the world. And I like to offer this, this experience, experience of connecting with our life as refuge, as coming home. And we can feel now, right now, as I connect with myself, as I collect myself in this moment, I am coming home to a refuge, to a place I can rely on, to an inner truth of my being. And coming home is fundamentally joyful. There's something right about it. Maybe now we can experience that together, this sense of something right about connecting with our life and something that settles us. And it can be with us every time we meditate and every time we're in awareness. The awareness has a quality of refuge, of homecoming, of ease.
And maybe we can take this one more step and understand that the basis of meditation is to be available. We are available to our life. We're at home with our life. And it's so natural and feels so right. Okay, let's take a breath. And slowly, slowly, we can open the eyes. And Stephen, I can bring it to a closing now. Or is that complete yes. for you? Yes. Yeah, so let's close in two ways. One is to... Go inside for a moment and see if there's an intention or a set of intentions coming out of our time together. <clears throat> what, <clears throat> what is calling from our time together for you to take further? And then we'll end with the traditional dedication of merit. May our time together, our openness, our inquiry, our practice, our time this morning, Pacific time, may it be of benefit to us, to all those in our circles, and then beyond our own circles. May our time together be of benefit ultimately to all beings knowing that we are part of all beings. So thank you much, so much, Stephen. And if you want to unmute, feel free. We can, we can close together. I think I'm unmuted, yes? Yep. Great. So thank you everybody for joining and love to see you again sometime and have a beautiful life, all of you. Yeah, and Stephen, if you'd like, we could stay on just for a moment. Uh, I think we can go, uh, Christina's lining something up for us. Yeah. Great. Thanks everyone. Feel free to say hi, say goodbye. You can unmute folks. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So well, today. Yeah, and Sylvia, you can come on for this afterwards. Yeah. Goodbye. Peace.
and Heidi. Thank you so much. That was really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.